Good morning. Corey, am I, am I on? Oh, good. I was handed a battery and I didn't put it in, so I was just hoping Corey didn't wear it out this, this Wednesday. We're going to spend some time in God's Word this morning. Is that a good thing? I'm going to start off with uh, 1 Corinthians verse 3. I think Betty's got it on the screen. We're going to be looking at authentic Jesus, authentic Christianity. In 1 Corinthians verse 3, it says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. I want to lay a foundation this morning. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 1. I hope you stick with me this morning. This is a topical study, and we're going to have to dig into our Bibles this morning and do a little bit of work. Paul said that they were more, speaking of the Bereans, that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures day and night to make sure that everything that Paul and Silas taught them was so. We're going to have to be Bereans this morning and dig into the word. But I I believe we will be blessed if we do that. He says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds be, may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you received a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. I think sometimes we forget. I heard it said that the gospel is so simple that a three-year-old can grasp it. But it's so complex, a university scholar may miss it. It's so simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's simply this, that if you believe Jesus came from God, took my sin, died in my place, and rose again, you will be saved. But you know, the thing is, we make it very complicated. Man seems to complicate it with all kinds of stuff. You know, uh, you, need to, you need to be a member of our church. Uh, you need to be baptized in, a, in our temple. You know, you, you, you need to be circumcised, baptized, not just a sprinkle. You need full immersion. And if you're a real sinner, three minutes. <laughs> We're going to wash all that sin away. When he starts jerking and squirming, I think he's, I think he's been washed clean. <laughs> but we do. We say, oh, you know, and you need to tithe. Three hours a day at least in prayer. 
And we make it really complicated. But it's simply just believe. Let's open in prayer before we get into God's word. Father, we commit this time of learning and all that lays before us, Lord. We want to spend this time with our Bibles open, studying your word, and our hearts attuned to hear from you, open to hear your voice this morning. We have seen enough to know that you can change us, Lord, that you can fix us, Lord, that you can heal us, Lord, that you can move through this body. Lord, it is our heart desire that you would move through your spirit through this service this morning, that we would be more like you. Lord, we want to grow from glory to glory, from faith to faith. We want to be more like you. We want to see you as you really are. We want to go further than we ever have, deeper, Lord, than we ever have. Lord, we want to know that we know that we have eternal life. Lord, that you have prepared a place for us. Give us that assurance and peace that can only come from you. May we hear your still small voice in this place today. Lord, move through your people. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to confess to you, I have an agenda that everyone here today would know and believe in the authentic Jesus. Because just like Paul said, not every Jesus that is out there is the true authentic Jesus. Not every spirit that whispers to us is the authentic spirit of God. And not every gospel is the true gospel that saves There are false Christs. There are false spirits. There is another gospel. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, false Christs and prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders in the last days. What we're going to look at is authentic Christianity, authentic Christ. Authentic is an adjective meaning the state of being. It is to be authentic, genuine, Real. What's some of the opposites that we sort of think of things as opposites? What's some of the opposites that we use? Fake, phony, counterfeit, contrived. I I remember hearing a story of Walter Martin, and he had a really good friend, and he was a CEO of a large banking firm in California. And they were out to lunch. And he asked, just by curiosity, how do you train your tellers to detect a counterfeit bill? And he goes, it's simple. They go through six weeks of training. And in that training, they handle nothing but crisp, clean, brand new bills. And they're put through every situation of counting and exchanging money. He goes, well, don't you 
Don't you train them on uh, detecting counterfeit bills? He says, no. In all that time, they handle the real thing. And he says, at the end of the training, there slipped one counterfeit bill, and they don't even have to look at it as they're handling the crisp, fresh, printed bills. The once, the moment that that counterfeit bill touches their fingers, they know it's fake. See, I spent a lot of money learning on the occults. You could ask Joni. I, I bought all kinds of books on the Jehovah Witness because I wanted to witness to the people in our town. And I wanted to be prepared when someone came to my door. And I bought books on the Mormon faith. And it's never been fruitful. But when you share the true Christ with people, when you share the gospel, the word of God moves and changes people. See, you and I don't need to know the counterfeit. We need to know the real, authentic Jesus. That when we hear something, when they say, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord. Well, tell me about your Jesus. But once something is not right, you'll know it. You'll sense it. That's not right. You know? We're going uh, to turn to John chapter 20. We're going to take our text from the book of John this morning. I want to take a moment and tell you a little bit about John. He's called the beloved apostle. He was the youngest of the, the apostles. But see, he wasn't always the beloved apostle. Joni and I was, uh, was joking and uh, she was saying, well, where in the Bible is Jesus humorous? And, and I think this is one of those, those times where the, the apostles were sharing and Jesus was sharing the gospel story and they rejected his message. And John and James says, Lord, let's bring down fire from heaven. Let's burn them. And in my heart, I, I kind of, feel Jesus chuckled because that must have, you know, hit him. And he said, no, no, no. No, no. We'll, we'll, we'll knock the dust off our sandals. We'll pray for them. But he named them sons of thunder, which to me is, is funny. He goes, you guys are the sons of thunder. But he learned to love. In fact, he was to that point where he says, you don't need to know my name. I'm not even going to put my name on the book. I am the apostle whom Jesus loved. That's all you need to know about, about me. Jesus loved me. And that's all we need to know this morning. We are disciples whom Jesus loves. John was a fisherman a lot like me. What I mean is, John never caught any fish either. <laughs> you find Jesus, every, uh, John, every time he, uh, that Jesus finds him, he's out in the boat all night and, uh, with an empty net. Let's open up uh, John 20. 
you know, John wrote this book at the end of his life. And the fact is, John had felt that there was no need for him to write his gospel because he felt the three gospels and all the writings of Paul and James and Peter were sufficient. But his disciples kept on saying, John, you need to write this stuff down. This, people need to hear this. He thought, well, I don't want to write the same stuff. He said, well, what would I write? So he says in verse 30, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. What John was saying is, in fact, he says in in the last paragraph of his book, he says, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that were written. Amen. He says, I've got all these stories. If everything was written, the world couldn't contain them. And he painstakingly wrote this book that you and I would believe in the authentic Jesus. And that you and I would have life in his name. Number one point I want to make, he says, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Turn with me to John chapter 1. He starts off with, in the beginning was the word. That's logos. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through him and without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. See, John didn't want you to miss what he was out to tell you. He was God. And he says, point out, the word was God. And just in case you and I was miss which God he's talking about, he says, and all things were created by him, and nothing was created that wasn't created if it wasn't through him. Paul makes the same point in Colossians chapter 1 when he said, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. If you ever wondered why you were created, you and I were created for him and for his glory. That's why when Paul talks in Romans chapter 12, he says... Let your life be a living sacrifice, holy, devoted to him. It is your reasonable service. He's saying this is reasonable. When we think of uh, 
Messiah and Christ, we sort of, you and I in, in today, we miss the meaning of that. But see, Nathaniel came to Jesus, uh, came to Peter, and he said, Peter, come, come and see. Is this not the Christ? See, they were looking. Daily, they were looking for the Messiah. Christ means Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one, the one that would feel all the, all the scriptures. See, all of the prophets were saying, the Christ is coming, the Christ is coming, the Christ is coming. And John was saying, he's here, he has come. And that he was the Son of God, the very God in flesh himself. John was just writing. John wasn't writing an apologetics argument of who Jesus was. It was his intent and desire that through this book that we would know who Jesus really was. He was God. Turn with me to John chapter... John chapter 5, verse 18. just so you know that Jesus claimed to be God. He said, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. John was saying, Don't miss this. This is why they seek to kill him. And a lot of times we miss, you know, why were they out to kill him? Well, it was one thing or the other. Either he was a lunatic and he was blaspheming God or he was God. So you can't have it both ways. You know, when we read that, that he is the son of God, we sort of think, well, aren't we sons and daughters of God? Because it's, it's sort of no big thing to us. But see, they understood. The Pharisees and the Sadducees understood really well. But see, we are sons and daughters in Christ. As we abide in Christ, we are called sons and daughters of God. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know? Turn with me to chapter 10. No, chapter 8. I'm sorry. Boy, I'm rushing through this. <laughs> chapter 8, verse 23. And speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees again, he said, He said to them, You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that if you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, Who are you? See, in our English Bibles, 
They insert he. But in the Greek, what, what Jesus said to them, if you do not believe that I am you will die in your sins. And what Jesus did was he took the very name of God and placed it upon himself. And see, they didn't miss this. He said, I'm from above. And if you do not, he says, I am the only one that can forgive sins. If you do not believe in me, you will die in your sins. He was being real blunt and real up front with them. And they said, who are you? And he goes on to say, he goes, you call Abraham your father, but he rejoiced in my day. And he saw it and was glad. And they said, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And he didn't want them to miss it. And what they did, in case anyone would miss the point, they took up stones to kill him. Turn with me to chapter 10 now. I kind of like the Pharisees because when they grab stone, the Bible is saying, take note, this is important. Why are they so mad? Why are they fuming and ready to kill him? In verse 31, it says in chapter 10, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from the Father. From which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. You and I need to believe in the authentic Jesus. You and I need to be that light. Jesus said to his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And they answered and said, Some say John the, John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Everything hinges on this one question that Jesus asked. And we all know the answer that that. Peter gave, he says, Lord, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Blessed are you, Simon Peter. He said, You're just a little pebble, Peter. You're a little pebble. But upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Man, really... important statement. He says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. He builds one church. Who do we say that Jesus is? Who is he to us? See, you can't 
be an authentic Christian and not know the authentic Jesus. I'm not going to go a lot into this, but I sort of wanted to look at some of the, the other Jesuses that people worship. There's the Christmas Jesus. And he will give you presents. And every year you set up a Christmas tree and you dust off the nativity scene. And you may attend a candlelight service. And you light your candle and pass it down. You may pray, sing Kumbaya. And you leave never being changed. You go home and that New Year's you take down the tree the nativity scene and you put it away and you don't, we don't see you in church until next year. And they never know the God that saves. They know a little baby Jesus in a manger. Then there's hippie Jesus. And he wears a tie-dye t-shirt and he protests everything under the sun. He protests and shouts against the gays, against abortions. And these things should make us mad, but we don't need to carry a sign. Again, their Jesus never changes their hearts. And they don't represent the God of the Bible. There's the Jesus of the Mormon church, and he's one of many gods. And you too also can become a god. And you never can do enough works to be saved. And they never feel assurance that God loves them. There's the Jesus of the Jehovah Witnesses. And they call him Lord, but it's with a little L. And he's certainly not Lord of their life. And they'll debate with you for hours of the deity of Jesus Christ because he's not God. In fact, they'll tell you, well, he's just Michael the archangel. And they too cannot do enough works to feel worthy to be loved by God. And there's never any assurance of salvation. And they never know the God of the Bible. There's Greenpeace Jesus, and he's out to save the planet, save the trees, save the wells. But, he, but they never save souls for God. And they're never saved. It is not enough just to believe in Jesus and believe that he was born in a manger or that he was crucified on a cross. You must know him as Savior that saves that he rose again. He is alive. He's Emmanuel, God with us. God in the flesh. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Second point that, that John makes in that believing you may have life. Let's talk about believing this morning because we all say we believe. And Brent brought, bought me this stool. It's the flaming stool. And Joni told me not to do this. <laughs> I just want to tell you up front. But I can tell you I believe 
in this stool. I can tell you, man, look at the construction. And I can walk around this stool and tell you, this stool can hold a person twice my weight. I've seen Brent sit in it. (laughs) So I know that's true. But the truth is, until I sit in it, you truly don't know that I believe. And if I don't sit in it, I don't truly believe. There was a man named Gwandan. He was a world-famous tightrope walker about 100 years ago, and he set up a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Have you ever heard of him? And uh, they didn't have much entertainment back then because he grew... He drew a crowd of about 2,000 people at the Niagara Falls to watch him walk across the falls. And Gwandan walked out on the wire and he got, got a little ways out there and he spinned around. He did a few tricks. He walked out in the middle of the wire and with the rushing wind and the rushing water from the falls the wire started swaying and swaying back and forth. And Gwandan jumped and landed on the wire. And the crowd went, oh! He stood on one leg. And with ease, Gwandan walked across the falls. And they applauded and there was this great fanfare. And he says, next week, I will walk across the falls pushing someone in a wheelbarrow. And the crowd just went crazy. Oh, yeah, oh, yay. Well, the following Friday, in a local restaurant, there was a man in the restaurant, and he was shouting at the people in the restaurant, I believe he can do it. I believe he can take someone across in a wheelbarrow. He says, in fact, I'll bet $1,000 to anybody that he can take them crossed in a wheelbarrow. Well, Gwandan happened to be in a corner eating a, eating a meal. He walks up behind him and he goes, Sir, I'm really pleased that you have so much confidence in me. In fact, I haven't all week, I've been searching for someone to get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> and I haven't been able to get anybody to get inside. I'm sure with your faith, You'll be happy to get in the wheelbarrow. Let me ask you, did he get in the wheelbarrow? No, he didn't. Did he really believe? You don't truly believe a doctor is capable of saving your life until you go on under the anesthesia and under the knife and you put your life in his hands. You don't truly believe a sergeant is worthy to lead until you follow him into battle. You don't believe a money manager or a money consultant is worthy of your funds until you put your money at his disposal. Until we get in the chair, until we get in the wheelbarrow, and until we go in under the knife or follow him into battle, 
You don't truly believe. And if you and I, if we don't put everything we are and everything we have into his care and trust, it's not saving faith. It's not true, authentic Christianity. And you and I may ask, do I truly believe? Well, John answers it here. He goes, he goes on to say, and that believing you may have life in his name. What life? Well, eternal life. That's the whole text of John's writing. That we may have life, but it's much more than just eternal life. He's talking about that abundant life now. Because, see, we, we sort of live our life as though that there's a day. I know, sort of like Martha, when she told the Lord, she says, Lord, I know when he says, do you believe that he will be raised? He says, Lord, we know in the last days that you will raise him up. He said, no, Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And that life is to be lived now. We don't get eternal life when we go to heaven. And the sad fact is, the church of today, the majority of Christians and true believers today, never experience that abundant life. We make it from week to week in our own power. Why is that so? Well, Paul points it out in Romans chapter 7. The truth is, you, most of the church and believers today live a carnal Christian life. They hear that, that voice saying, don't do that, don't do that. And there's that other voice saying, do it, do it. Someone cut you off in the highway, you had that voice saying, Shake your fist at him. Then you have that other voice. No, 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 no. You know, you got time. Just let him in. Let him in. You're in no hurry. Be a light. And a lot of times that other voice, voice wins out, don't it? Then you pass them up and, and, and you, you want to show them. Oh, that's Alan from church. <laughs> and you just think, oh... Am I alone? (laughs) Paul writes in Romans chapter 7. You don't have to turn. I'll read it for you. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity the law of sin which is in my members. And he goes on to say, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In verse 17 he goes, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but... How to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. For the evil that I will to do, will to do, 
that I practice. Let me reword that. Will not to do that I practice. See, to live a carnal Christian life is being in between, is living in that place where no joy in the Christian life. In fact, it's, it, it's entity with God. You can't please God in that place. In other words, everything that you do, you feel guilty about. You know, the movies you rent, the things you see, the things you think, the things that come out of your mouth. You think, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. And you feel guilty about everything. See, at least the world has pleasure in sin for a season. You and I don't have that. But Paul says, man, there's, a, there's, a, there's another place. When you and I get to that place when we surrender and say, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to please you. That's all that matters to me. That's what I want. I, take me to that place, Lord. I surrender. I can't do it on my own. And then Paul, Paul says this. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Betty, would you put that verse up there? Repeat this with me because we need to hear this. Christ Jesus has made me free. Let's try it again real loud. Christ Jesus has made me free. Man, we need to to know that. We have freedom in Christ. That is authentic Christianity. That is eternal life in Christ. John goes on to say, and that believing you may have life in his name. It's all about his name. Amen? Amen. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. And I have to be real up front with you. Sometimes we forget that. And we get things upside down. And our train gets off the track and we forget it's all about Jesus. He fills the church. He's the one that blesses the church. He multiplies the church. It's not about this building. It's not even about the people in it. It's not about the pastor. It's not about the music. It's all about Him. Do you know Him? I want to read a poem. Well, it's not a poem. It's a story. A newlywed couple was off on a honeymoon, and the father of the bride made reservations for a honeymoon suite in a nice five-star hotel as a generous gift to the young newlywed couple. As they arrived and checked into the honeymoon suite, they were immediately impressed at how beautiful and lovely the room was. On the dresser, as they entered 
was a large bouquet of flowers right below a lovely chandelier above a complimentary gift basket. This room was nice. I mean very nice. But they noticed something missing. There was no bed. And as they looked across the room, there was a large sofa. Looking more closely, they found it was a hide-a-bed. So they thought, oh well, it's a bed. And they unfolded it. Found it to be small, lumpy, and as they sat on it, very uncomfortable. But they were grateful. At least they had some place to sleep that night. But as they went through the night, either one of them got any sleep, and their necks and their backs ached the next morning. The next day, as they checked out of the, out of the suite, the manager asked them with a big smile, how they had liked their room. And they said, it was great, but wondered why such a beautiful room would have no bed. The manager, looking startled, said, did you not go through the door? And he took them back up to their suite, and in the middle of the room was a large door. And he took them through the door, and immediately going through the door, was a sauna bubbling and right next to the sauna was a bottle of iced apple cider. (laughs) Sparkling cider on ice. Roses decorated the room and in the middle of the room was a lovely, large, king-size honeymoon bed with laces and frills. You see, they never entered into all that was prepared for them. They were satisfied just outside the door of their honeymoon suite. And this is so much like the church today. We're happy just outside the door. Just outside the joy of the Lord. Never completely entering in the joy of salvation. My heart this morning is that nobody here this morning would leave without knowing the authentic Jesus. And we always think, we got time. I got time. Don't be foolish. You and I don't have another day. Today is the day of salvation. People fill churches... From week to week, they leave never knowing where they stand with God. And, and as we grow as a body, I feel that more and more. It's getting harder and harder to reach out and touch newcomers. And people are coming looking for that life that that doesn't offer, that the world doesn't offer. They want to change I need something. I know we have that God vacuum in each and every one of us that we will fill with something and never be satisfied. That only God can fill and satisfy. 
A hundred years from now, this is the only thing that will ever matter. Because we think, so much matters today. Will I get that promotion? Will I get that new car? Will I get that house on a hill? You know, will I get this? Will I get that? You know, the, the, the positions that I hold. A hundred years, none of it will matter. In fact, Solomon says, this is all vapor. It's fleeting. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they know me. If Jesus came today, would you recognize him? Would you hear his voice? Do you know him as Lord and Savior? Most important, do you have eternal life? Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. I thought about that. Jesus will never knock your door down. He will never grab you by the leg and drag you kicking and screaming. It's that still small voice where he says, I'm here. I have something special for you. Will you open the door? Will you let me in? But it's our responsibility to open that door. It's our responsibility to let him in. Turn with me to one more verse. Turn to 1 John chapter 5. That's back at the end of your book. I circled this in my Bible. Because one thing the world doesn't have is assurance. And this is the same John that wrote the first gospel. Starting at verse 11, he goes... And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and that this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Do you know for sure? Don't leave doubting or wondering. See, you have two choices. You can choose to reject him this morning. Or you can choose life. Because he won't knock the door down. Saints, pray with me, okay? If you want to invite Jesus into your heart, pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and give me this new life in you. I believe you, I believe in you, and I believe that you died for my sins. And by your blood, my sins are washed away. 
I believe you rose from the dead. And you prepared a place for me. Help me, Jesus, to live for you. And each day, even though I may fall, I will get up and live for you. I place all my trust in you. In this day, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, welcome to the family of God. Don't leave doubting. You are his. He says, that's all you need to do. Paul wrote, if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If the ushers will prepare communion, we're going to share communion this morning. I'd like to have the band come on up. In Luke 22, it says, When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus had looked forward to this this night ever since the first Passover. And at this time, it had finally arrived and the ultimate Passover lamb, lamb was about to be offered willingly. Would welcome me into this mystery. 